Author Christopher McDougall once said, Every morning in Africa, a gazelle wakes up. It knows that it must run faster than the fastest lion or it will be killed. Every morning in Africa, a lion wakes up. It knows it must run faster than the slowest gazelle or it will starve. It doesn't matter whether you're a lion or whether you're a gazelle. In Africa, when you wake up, you'd better be running. Uh, And sometimes life is a bit like that, eh? Sometimes our Christian life seems to be a bit like that too, where we're striving and striving and striving to live lives worthy of the calling that we've received. In 1 Corinthians and in Hebrews, Paul talks about the Christian life in terms of running a race. Uh, In 1 Corinthians 9 he says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? So, run that you may get it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable prize, but we an imperishable. So, I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one just beating the air, but I discipline my body and I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Do you get this? This is the action of running the Christian race, right? The action of living the Christmas, the Christmas, is it that time of year? Christian life. In the introduction to James I gave a few weeks ago, I said that if I had to sum up the message of James in one word, I'd use the word non-passivity. And you all looked at me because you've never heard that word used ever before. What it means is there's nothing passive about the Christian life. Living the Christian life is a very active experience. We, we don't just have Christianity done to us. Christianity is a life that we live. It, it's the life that I live, it's the life that you live as we actively follow Jesus. And that's what discipleship is all about. Jesus calls us to be disciples, to follow him, to actively follow his leading. Now, including today... We've only made it 18 verses into James and uh, this is the third message that I'm bringing out of a mere 17 verses. And each one of these messages, they've had their own distinct flavour, but James's key message, that the thread which has run through all of these messages has been an encouragement, actually it's more than that, it's an exhortation to endurance to steadfastness in faith, to standing strong in the faith. In last week's message, we learned that the only thing, the only thing which has any eternal value is faith that endures. Money and riches are of no eternal value at all. Honour from men and status means nothing. Having the nicest car or even the most productive farm means nothing. Sporting or academic achievements count for nothing. Nothing you have. Even human relationships, those things which we sometimes value so highly, even human relationships in themselves count for nothing. They are of no eternal value. The only thing that has any eternal value is your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. A faith that endures. Now that was last week. The week before, 
we learned about how trials and tests lead to our perfection, our completion. Because as we stand fast, as our faith endures through trials and tests, it perfects us, it completes us. When everything else in our life is stripped away and the only thing that remains is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, this is us being perfected. This is us being completed and readied for heaven. And we also learned to pray and ask for godly wisdom. Because godly wisdom is where this steadfastness of faith comes from. But what is this? What is it? What is this godly wisdom? Well, Godly wisdom is being able to see things from God's perspective. It is to gain an eternal perspective and to not just be focused on the temporary things of this world, those things which usually catch our attention. And when we ask for godly wisdom, God will give us that godly wisdom. Don't ever doubt that. Don't be double-minded about it. Know that when the time of testing comes, you will stand strong in your faith because you've asked God for godly wisdom and you have it. You've asked God for this eternal perspective and when you ask for that, he will give you this eternal perspective. And so don't be unsure of yourself. Don't go feeling, well, I hope I'll stand strong when when my faith is tested because that's just double-mindedness. You need to know that you will stand strong because... God has given you godly wisdom. He has given you this ability to stand strong and so know that you will. Believe it. With godly wisdom, with his eternal perspective, you believe that Jesus is the most important thing in your life. He's more important than life itself. And so believe that God will give you godly wisdom which gives you strength to endure through every testing of your faith. Alright, so that's what we covered in the last two weeks. This week, James continues on with the same theme. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. And if you don't have godly wisdom, if you're still trying to run your life and you're making life decisions and judgment calls according to worldly wisdom, if you don't yet have that godly eternal perspective, well, that verse is going to make a whole lot of nonsense to you. Blessed? Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. You see, worldly wisdom says blessed is the man who doesn't have trials. Is there anybody here who doesn't have trials? No one. And yet worldly wisdom says, blessed are we when life is easy. Blessed are we when our faith is not put to the test. But James will have none of this. He says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. Right? So blessed are you when you remain steadfast when you are under trial. Why? Well, there's a reward, you see. Who likes rewards? The kids love rewards, don't they? Uh, uh, Mrs B, you didn't give them any minties or anything with the kids' story. That's why the kids always look forward to the little reward that we get at the kids' story. Well, there's a reward. The reward for standing fast fast in the faith. James calls it the crown of life. 
Now, that word crown, it can mean a royal crown, but usually it describes the laurel wreath that you'd give to the winning athlete. Our equivalent today would probably be the gold medal and the, and the bouquet of flowers. You know how when they all stand up on the podium, they, they get the medal and, and a bouquet of flowers? Right, it's just like Paul's analogy of running a race. We run the race of discipleship. We exert ourselves to stand fast in the faith and the gold medal prize is the prize that God has promised to those who love him. Does anyone here love God? Are you shooing flies? I'm just wondering if I'm in the right place. I thought this was church. Is, is this Bush Disciples? I'm not at the TAB or something. No? Does anyone here love God? I love God! Yay! Don't, don't be shy about it. Don't be coy about it. Remember, there's a prize. Remember, this is like the kids at Sunday school. Does anybody here want a minty? What are the kids doing? <laughs> okay. Does anyone here love God? Yay! I love God! I love God! I love Him so much. I love Him more than all the rest of you. Yeah? By the way, have you ever thought about this? People who don't love God, they're probably not going to enjoy that reward very much even if they got it. True? We love God and so the prize is pretty great to be with the Lord for eternity. That's fantastic. But it wouldn't be such a great prize if you don't love God, hey? Anyway, up until now, we've been mainly seeing this steadfastness in terms of faith in Jesus, standing strong in Jesus, never denying Jesus. And some people would like to leave steadfastness at that point. As long as you believe in Jesus, that's all that matters. But not James. Because faith isn't the only thing that matters. In James, our faith does something. It's what we do with that faith. And today James stretches us to not only consider what we believe but how we behave because of that belief. And he talks about temptation, desire and sin. The one thing in my life that I pray to be rid of is my propensity to sin. I believe, I'm a believer. I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm a Christian. I'm his follower. I'm a disciple of Jesus. I'm a minister of a church, for goodness sake. I know I'm forgiven. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. And yet, I still continue to struggle with sins. And if you knew the sins that I struggle with, and if you knew the sins that I actually give in to sometimes, most of you wouldn't be here today. You'd think of me as a hypocrite. I really, I really, really identify with the Apostle Paul when he said, I keep on doing the things I don't want to do. I want to do good, but I don't do the good that I want to do. And I don't want to do bad, but I keep on doing those things that I hate. You know the passage I mean? It's in Romans chapter 7. 
That's me. Where do these temptations come from? Aren't I supposed to be saved? Where do they come from? We've been singing about victory and all that sort of stuff today. Where do these temptations come from? Well, they don't come from God. God isn't tempted nor does he do the tempting. Verse 14 says, Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Yeah, we know that Satan does tempting too, but I don't believe that that happens nearly as often as what we give him credit for. Um, I'm quite capable of tempting myself with my own desires. How about you? Yeah? Our own desires lure us. Our own desires entice us. There's something inside of us which is this propensity to do evil. And it's something which people have struggled with and thought about forever. The Jewish rabbis of Jesus' day would call it the yasahara, the evil impulse. Paul talks about it in terms of the battle between the spirit and the flesh. Walt Disney would draw a cartoon of Donald Duck with an angelic Donald Duck on one shoulder and a little devil Donald Duck on the other. And the one tries to convince him to do the good and the other tries to convince him to do the wrong thing and, and invariably the little devil Donald Duck will end up strangling the, the little angel Donald Duck. James uses a fishing image. We're lured and enticed by our own desire. Desire is like the hook with its bait. It first entices its prey and then it drags it away. Now you know what I'm talking about, don't you? Or am I the only sinner here? When you know it's wrong, but your desire for that momentary pleasure hooks you. And you allow the spirit to be overcome by the flesh. Verse 15. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. What do we do at this point? Is there anybody here who, since they've become a Christian, haven't been enticed by sin, haven't been lured by, by their own desires and then been hooked by it? Is there anybody here who can say that? If there is, you're probably in the wrong church. The church of the liars is down the road somewhere else. <laughs> See, all of us, are far, far from perfection. We still get hooked by our own impure desires. And if sin leads to death, what hope do I have? Ha! There's every hope. Jesus died to save sinners. He died to save sinners from their sin. When we fail, when we get hooked by sin and we do what we know is wrong, 
there continues to be a way out. Repent. Be sorry for your sin. And want to be rid of it. And seek forgiveness from the Lord Jesus Christ. We cut the line, right? We've been lured by this hook. And then we get drug away by it. But we cut the line that we've been hooked on. And we return to Christ. And... I'm sorry to tell you this, but you may have to keep cutting that same line over and over and over again. Because you will probably continue to be lured and enticed by that same sin over and over and over again. But the moment we give up cutting that line, the moment that we stop repenting of that sin, even if it's one we've repented of over and over and over again, the moment that we give up on that and instead we begin to embrace that sin, if our desire becomes so strong that for that temptation that, that we allow that sin to grow and develop in us and if we stop repenting, when sin is fully grown... It brings forth death. I've seen it happen. A young man, an elder in a church that I once attended, he was a man who struggled with temptations, as we all do. His temptation was homosexuality. But he fought it and he prayed and he asked forgiveness. And he he just seemed like an ordinary, everyday Aussie bloke. But when he heard the teaching of liberal theology, it taught him something different. He said, no, 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 you don't have to worry about that. That's not a sin. That's the way God made you and you should celebrate that and embrace it. And he gave himself over to a homosexual lifestyle and he totally changed. In a matter of months... First his clothes changed, then his hairstyle changed and then physical changes began happening in his body. His voice changed, his mannerisms changed. He dropped completely away from the church. He eventually left town to go to another town to further embrace his new lifestyle. And the last I heard of him was when his partner committed suicide. If we allow sin, it doesn't matter what sin it is, that was his sin. You have your own sin. If we allow sin to go unchecked, unrepented of, it grows. And it takes us over. Another example, most of us will know somebody who has walked in the faith, but then something happens and they refuse to forgive somebody else. And they get filled with bitterness. And unforgiveness. And eventually the bitterness takes them over. Because they don't repent of it. They don't cut that line of bitterness. And it just completely takes them over. Sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Sometimes spiritual death. It could even be physical death. And so we strive 
to live righteous lives. And part of that striving is not just the one-off repentance that we have at our time of initial salvation. It is an ongoing daily repentance as the Lord continues to reveal to us areas of sin in our lives where we get hooked. The Lord is going to continue to reveal these to you. And we need to confess these sins. We repent of them and we continue following Christ. This is the endurance that James is talking about today. Steadfastness in faith, continuing in faith, also means steadfastness in us repenting toward God and continuing in that. Now, I really didn't know where to stop the reading for today and pick it up next time we meet. So what I decided to do is I was only going to preach on verses 12 to 18, but there's some very important verses in verses 19 to 21 that we need to hear. And that's going to, that we're actually going to preach more on those next time we meet. But let me read them to you now. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Alright? It's the implanted word that is able to save our souls. You can't save your own soul. I can't save my own soul. God does that. There's hope, you see. And I couldn't leave you hanging until, not next week, but the week after when we meet next time. We put away our sin... That's what I've been calling repentance. And we receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save our souls. The implanted word, of course, is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And we receive it with all meekness because there's no room here for pride. None of us have earned our salvation. None of us deserve it. It is a gift. It's a gift that God gives to those who are least deserving. People like me. I'm hoping you at this stage are saying, people like me. If we don't repent of our sin, uh, and and we're going to uh, be talking more about specific sins when we continue on in the Bible reading next time we meet. But if we don't repent of our sin, it may lead to spiritual death, a falling away, from faith. Verse 16. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. One of my hobbies is photography. Um, Some of you may have seen some photos that we have up at home. Uh, But my favourite type of photography is landscape photography. Now, the problem is when you go on holidays, 
uh, there's two things that you want to do. You want to enjoy your holiday, but you also want to have a bit of a break and catch up on sleep and everything. And the thing is, photography and, and having a break don't really mix because um, the best time of day to take photos is really early in the morning. Really early in the morning. The reason, you see, as the day changes, the shadows change. And you can take a photo at a certain location and then a couple of hours later it'll have a, a completely different character. It just changes so much. It's exactly the same landscape that you're looking at. Exactly the same. But photography is all about capturing light. And the, ch- and the light changes. The shadows come from different places. The, the, there might be a little bit more red in the sky or a little bit brighter or a little bit duller. It just changes the character of it totally. Well, what James is saying here is God doesn't change at all. There is no shadow of change. God is completely the same. He's not just the same in essence, he's the same in character. He does not change. Isn't God good? It was God's will that Jesus came. It was God's will to save us. What do you think it's his will to do now? Has it changed? No. It is still God's will to save us. It is still God's will to bring forgiveness in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, God doesn't pick you up and dust you off and go, right, there you go. That's the only time I'm going to dust you off. Every time we sin, we can come to him in in humility and in meekness. Say, Lord, I'm so sorry. I was hoping that I was changed. I was hoping that I was free of this sin, but my own desire, it's, it's hooked me again. What's God going to do? Is he going to say, sorry, you've had your chance. Does he do that? No. God does not change. He's ever willing to forgive. And he's always keen to transform us into his new perfect creation. It's never too late to make the break with sin. And it's never too early. Continued repentance to receive the crown of eternal life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you that You are more solid than a rock or a mountain. Just simple shadows can change the character of a mountain, but nothing changes your character. You are the same yesterday, today and forever. You are the God who saves. You are the God of righteousness. You're not only the God who will judge with righteousness, but you're also the God who gives righteousness. And Lord, we, 
when I read passages like what I read today and read about my own desire uh, that, that, that tempts me and lures me and, and when I get hooked on it, it well, that's sin. And that sin, when, I, when it's mature, leads to death. Lord, I, I realise that you are talking about me. You're talking about each and every one of us here. We all have our own desires that drag us away from you. Lord, I want to thank you that there is a way out. I want to thank you, Lord, that godly repentance, godly sorrow leads to repentance. That we can break that line that drags us away. That we can live once again in the freedom of the cross. Lord, I want to thank you that you don't ever give up on us. And Lord, I pray that our faith would endure so that we would never give up on us either. Lord, I pray that you would help me never to give up on my Christian brother or sister and that they would never give up on me. Lord, help us to not just endure in the faith knowing that Jesus saved us, but help us to endure in living the faith always valuing what you've done for us, always praising you for your sacrifice and your salvation, always praising you for eternal life, this crown which we await. Thank you, Lord. Amen.